I'm going to grab a seat, church. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, God is good, amen? amen? Hey, praise the Lord. It's been a beautiful morning thus far. If you will excuse probably the sound of my voice, one, but also, two, that I have this cup up here. I'm going to put it down on my feet, but I've got the crud like everybody else does around here, you know, going around middle Tennessee. I think that's what UT had last night when they played. Uh, I, I keep just telling myself, God is good. His grace is sufficient for us. You know what I mean? But I, I, I do want to say, um, y'all have a, a, a wonderful pastor in RC. I do want to say that. And he is, uh, for two reasons, uh, really more than that. But the first one is that he can articulate those names really well from the passage of scripture that he just read. No, but he, he loves you dearly and, and shepherds his church well and uh, has blessed me uh, with an opportunity to step into the pulpit to open God's word. So hear me say, church, that it is an honor and a great privilege for me to, to gather not only with you in worship, uh, to sing praise to his name, but to open God's word with you. And we're going to kind of reference back to walk through some of the passages of scripture that RC did read for us. Uh, so I would ask that you uh, keep your Bible open. Uh, to Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to navigate verses 2 through 6, like R.C. said, um, but kind of open up and be there for that. And I believe, man, we, we're, we're kind of coming from all different walks of life, all different scenarios, all different backgrounds, all different struggles, all different issues. Uh, and when we gather together uh, on a Sunday morning, it's an opportunity for us not to check our baggage at the door. We don't want that. We want you to come in and lay them down at the feet of Jesus together. Uh, because a lot of the scenarios that we're walking through create in us a lot of angst. They create in us a lot of worry and anxiety. And the beauty is, is that we don't have to, to, to share that or bear that burden alone. We can share that with brothers and sisters in Christ, but ultimately we can lay that down at the feet of Jesus, who is the burden giver and also the burden taker, in hopes that we would come and fall at his feet. The world those who are, are not disciples, those who are not followers of Jesus do not have this privilege. So more often than not, what happens to the world is that when tragedy strikes or when sorrow comes or when issues happen, they bear that burden on their own and they try to walk the road of whatever road they're walking. And we've seen, there was an article that was published in the Scientific American that was titled, Psychiatry Needs to Get Right with God. And what this article talked about was the fact that we have seen the mental health in America plummet to an all-time low. What this has shown us is that there has been a 50% increase in mental health disorders. So that's anxiety, worry, fear, depression, uh, substance abuse, uh, all kinds of different things. And, we'll, and specifically in that article for a moment, it targeted young adults, and it said, since 2018, young, adult, young adults are twice as likely to either contemplate or commit suicide. We need Jesus. And the interesting thing that happens with this article is it goes on to tell us that those who regularly gather with the religious body, so this church, as we gather on a Sunday morning, it says that those who regularly gather weekly with the body have a, 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 their mental health increased where the world's decreased. When we gather with the church, we're collectively coming and we're laying these burdens down at the feet of Jesus. Now, does this mean that Christians don't walk through worry and suffering and doubt? Absolutely not. 
We all have suffering. Look at the book of Job. Look at the disciples. Many of our lives, as we walk through suffering, there are many faithful followers of Jesus that have mental health disorders. That does not mean simply because we follow Jesus that those things will be taken away from us. Jesus says, when you follow me, you're not promised sunshines and rainbows. Follow Christ. What happened to Christ? He suffered. He came first as a suffering servant. When he comes again as a conquering king, we will reign with him. We are more than conquerors through him. But in this moment, in the, the world that we navigate, the reason that our mental health goes up in, t- in those times of suffering since before the pandemic and after is because our foundation is not shaking. As we stand with our, fir- theme, our feet firmly planted on Christ, we're able to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. And this is why we've been walking through the book of Colossians. Because the whole book is about making Christ preeminent in all things. We're drawing to a close today, but I'll I'll repeat this later. But I want you to understand the, the heartbeat of the book, the heartbeat of us as a church, is that you would fix your eyes upon Christ. That you would place him in his rightful place, which is first in your life, and allow him to reign over all things. That's why we call the series Jesus Over Everything. And it's when we do this, when we place Jesus in his rightful place, we get a firmer uh, foundational understanding of who we are. It's Genesis 1.26. When you understand who created you, what he created you for in a specific time and created you the, mi- the mission he's given you in creation to live out. When we understand who God is, we have a better understanding of who we are and therefore we are blessed. This is why Christians are Uh, Data shows that when we grasp this, we are a happier people. Christians are the most generous people in the culture, statistics shows. It also shows that we have the best marriages and the best sex. I thought I'd at least get an amen right there. Lord help. (laughs) All the kids in here. (laughs) Tyler became your mom and daddy. Anyways, uh, but our collective mental health improves while the world dwindles. Christians cope with tragedy far better than our secular neighbors do. Statistics show generally Christians are more hopeful about their lives over those of the world, those who do not know Jesus. Now, what I need you to understand, in this uh, same scope and in this same light, what I am not saying, what I am not saying, N-O-T, not saying, I am not saying that believers are better than those that don't know Jesus, not by any means. Our situation, our rightness and standing with God allows us to be better off, but we are not better than because we all start sinfully separated from God. And he is the one who so graciously moves in us and draws us to himself. And he is the one who blesses us through the Holy Spirit with the knowledge and understanding of God's word to understand who he is. We didn't do anything for that. It was all God. So we can't boast in our situational, vertical relationship with God. He is the one who initiated it, he started it, and he will bring it to completion when he comes again. That's nothing about you or I. We are not better than your neighbor who smokes weed every single day. We're not better than the neighbor who has had multiple wives and, and multi, or multiple husbands. We are not better than a neighbor who just aimlessly wanders through the world with no hope of Christ. 
They put their shoes on one foot at a time like we do. They need Jesus just like we do. So we are not better than, although we might be better off. It's the good theology in Colossians that should drive us, though, with this thought, with this uh, kind of mentality to live lives that are flourishing and fulfilled in Jesus Christ and continue to point that lost neighbor, continue to point that lost relative or your lost coworker or your lost classmate to the hope of Christ, the reason that you can have joy in whatever that you might be walking through. And this is why in Colossians, in the verses that we're gonna walk through, Paul shows us that in everything we must pray and proclaim. Those will be the two points that we're gonna walk through this morning. So if you're taking notes, wanna thumb those in, whatever you wanna do, we're gonna walk through persistent prayer and passionate proclamation. So look back at verse two with me for a moment. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I'm gonna break down first the, the continue steadfastly in, in prayer, and we'll come back to the thanksgiving in a moment. Another way to think about this, continuing steadfastly in prayer is persistent prayer. What's persistence? It's continual, it's never ending, it's a constant. In every aspect of our lives, there should be prayer. But the issue is, is that often there's not. And this is a tough one. Because many people who claim to follow Jesus don't pray other than for their meal. Why is that? Well, I first want you to understand that you are in good company if you struggle with prayer life. It is not an anomaly in, the walk with, in our walk with Christ. But I also want you to understand too, Paul does not condemn you in your struggling with prayer. Instead, he tells you to persist, continuing in uh, the hard work, steadfastly in prayer, because prayer is not easy. Prayer is not easy, but it should be a regular rhythm, even though it's hard. You don't want prayer to be every now and then or when you come to church, because prayer for the life of the believer is like our oxygen. If we all hold our breath in here and we never breathe again, what's gonna happen? We'll all die in this room. For the believer, if your life is without prayer, you're starving yourself of the oxygen. You're starving yourself of the transformative power that Christ has given you in the Holy, in, in the Holy Spirit. Prayer should be like the breath of the believer because it plays a huge part in how we live, how we think, and how we communicate. Leonard Ravenhill, he's an author and an evangelist, said, no man is greater than his prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. So it does not matter if you can come and give all of the Sunday school answers. It does not matter if you know exactly where Ecclesiastes is. It does not matter if you can come and model what worship might look like. If you are void of prayer in your life, you are void of transformative power. And, and, and hear me, I can fall victim to this just like everyone else. I can get so busy with the schedule of, of the day and the, even the season that we're all entering into with the holidays, having 5,100 different Thanksgiving meals and all these different things with our friends that we often forget to take a moment to pause and pray. It was Martin Luther who said that I have so many different things that I have to do today, I must spend three hours in prayer in hopes to get them all done. The most important thing that we can do in our lives is one, come to know the Lord, but two, pray. 
Seek him through prayer. When it comes to ministry, it might look really, really good to be productive. It might look really, really good to to be buttoned up, have all the right answers, all those different things. But a ministry without prayer is devoid of transforming power. We must pray together. We must seek the Lord. But Paul not only says that. He says that you must be persistent in prayer, but also be watchful in thanksgiving. It's in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is a theme throughout the entirety of the book of Colossians. Uh, Chapter two, verse seven tells us to abound in thanksgiving. So now we have prayer and thanksgiving paired together. Why is that? Well, it's really, really hard to not talk to someone that you're thankful for. If you think about it, man, the reason you haven't talked to your relatives since last Thanksgiving is why? Because you're probably frustrated with them. You're probably angry with them. When I don't want to talk to people, it's probably because I feel slighted or I'm angry or I'm frustrated. And what we do when we pray to God with thanksgiving is we incline our hearts to him. Through us being thankful for what he's done for us, he woos us to himself. So something I want to do real quick before we move on is I want, you to, I want everyone to pull out their phone. If you have a phone, go ahead and pull it out or you have a notebook or whatever. I want you to pull your phone out, go to your notes app, and, and, and create a new note that says thanksgiving or thankfulness. And through the next week, what I want you to do is create a running list. This list should not go away. It should only get longer of the things that you're thankful that God has done in your life, that he has provided for you. So in the moments where he feels distant, one, he is not distant, we are. He is immutable, he never changes. But when it feels distant or when I'm in a a pit or a valley, I can look back at this list and remember all of the things that God has done for me, how good he has been good, how, how good he has been to me. Like the song we just sang, so, so good. I did this with the high schoolers uh, this past Wednesday. We did our like groups giving in here. We lined this thing like a banquet hall. We had a Thanksgiving meal with two massive Christmas trees. It was confusing, okay? (laughs) But it was very, very sweet. Because I had the students write this list. I gave them five minutes to do it. And then we all said it out loud. And this room was filled with all different voices talking about the things they were thankful that God has done for them. And may it be a constant reminder of his goodness, his gentleness, and his faithfulness to you. But in that, it leads us to a very, very important question, church. Why don't we Persist in prayer. What's keeping you from your prayer life? Because if you don't have persistent prayer in your life, you will not have the homes that were talked about last week. You will not have the the worshipful work that was talked about. And you will not have a deep, intimate, (laughs) ever-flowing relationship with God if we are void of prayer. And I'm gonna remove one of the excuses that you might be thinking of right now. I don't have time. That's not true. <laughs> John Piper said, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on, at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. We waste our time. We waste our time often on meaningless things. I mean, examine your week or look at your uh, uh, screen time that pops up on your phone every single Sunday, just enough time to convict you of how much you've been on your phone. What's the average? Can you shrink that down and spend that average in prayer? 
seeking the Lord? Okay, we, we pulled the, the time out of it. But, so what is really the problem? I believe it's a lack of desire or it's a lack of understanding. Because prayer takes dedication and it takes a lot of hard work. It's not always easy to seek the Lord through prayer. Man, I've got a million other things I need to do, so I'd rather go and do those. Okay, maybe the Lord has stirred in my heart and he has given me the desire, but now I don't understand where to start or what to do. I don't have the understanding needed to walk through prayer with myself or with my family. Well, it's the beauty of scripture. It's all throughout it. Specifically, Matthew 6, the Lord gives us, he says, pray then like this, and he gives us a model, an outline. He allows us to see what a beautiful prayer would be. It doesn't have to always be that. It can be longer or it can be shorter. I remember a young man prayed for a meal one time. He was nervous and he was scared. And he said, Heavenly Father, do your thing. Amen. And that was his prayer. <laughs> it's not about performance. You don't have to have this, like, holy are thou prayer. Just be obedient to pray. Just be obedient to pray. And if you get to Matthew 6, another great resource I would encourage you to get is the Valley of Vision. This is a collection of Puritan prayers. This book here, along with Scripture, has transformed my prayer life. Now, this book does have some of the these and thous and those and thanks and all those different things. You've got to translate a little bit when you read it. But reading the prayers of people who have gone before you that have desire to exalt the Lord in all things moves in us. It stirs us. I myself had to get over the thing of like, man, I'm reading other people's prayers and praying them myself. Is that weird? Is that okay? Absolutely. Allow the words of scripture, allow the, the prayers of righteous men and women to mold you and shape you. Just a little encouragement there for you because I want you all to hear me. Men, women, children in this room, young adults, students, and if you have surrendered your life to Christ and he has saved you, we have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of prayer. We pray in faith in Jesus Christ. We pray to the only one that can do anything about it. And just for a moment, I wanna challenge the men in the room. Because you, whether you are a household yourself or you have a household of many, the burden is on your shoulders to set the prayer life in your home. So if you wanna see your spouse, your wife, transformed by prayer, Pray with her and pray for her. If you want to see your children model what it looks like to pray, show them what it looks like. We as men should spend at least 15 minutes in the morning by ourselves going before the Father and then every night gathering with our family if there's people in our household to seek the Lord in prayer. Whether it be your immediate family or you're going to have a bunch of people over for the holidays. Don't break the rhythm of family worship. Add them to it and model for them what it looks like, men. Seek the Lord in prayer. I plead with you. 
We seek him in thanksgiving. And we also seek him in hopes that he would open up an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. A passionate proclamation. Look at verse 3 with me. It says that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is writing from prison here. And if we're honest, I bet Paul wanted out of prison. I've never met anyone who has been in prison that says, I'm just going to kick it here and stay a while. I mean, I want to get out. I want to have some freedom. But what does Paul pray for? He does not pray for his cell door to open. He prays for a gospel door to open. Because he's planting his feet where he is at. Whether Paul was in the street, he was in the church, or he was in prison. The thing that was always on his mind, the thing that was out in front of what he was doing, was a passionate proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because he understood that it is the power of God for salvation. So if you want to see life life change, if you want to see dead men and women come to life, if you want to see marriages restored, if you want to see prodigal kids return home, Lay the gospel out and watch and wait. Watch and wait. And I think there's an encouragement here as well for us as Paul asked for prayer that he would make it clear. Paul, the apostle Paul, is praying in hopes that people would pray for him that he could faithfully and clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Gives you some confidence, right? Because we all get a little bit nervous when we go share the gospel. Ain't nobody shaking their head. Y'all all lying. I'm not the only one that gets nervous when we talk about the Lord, all right? We all get nervous because it is the power of God for salvation. This is a weighty matter. We're not just talking about random things. Eternity is at stake when we lay the gospel before people. But Paul even here models for us to ask for prayer. The beauty, uh, a beautiful thing I've noticed about this campus is that y'all are doing D groups and life groups and all those different things really, 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 hear me say, really well. You should be praying for the people in your group to present the gospel clearly and effectively. Now again, it will never be perfect and you do not have to have all of the answers that someone might ask but lay before them the gospel of Jesus Christ and them crucified and pray that the Lord would one day take that seed that has been planted in your faithfulness and sprout it for his glory and his namesake and draw people unto himself for salvation. But just like Paul, who prayed and asked for opportunity, even wisdom in that opportunity, we should be doing that. But the next thing that comes is obedience to that opportunity, which is often much harder. We can ask God, Father, would you you just open a gospel door? I I wanna talk about someone with the gospel today. When we get so busy with our schedules or we get so nervous to talk to the opportunity we know that the Lord has given us blatantly and we move on past it. We have to first ask for wisdom and understanding And secondly, be obedient to the opportunity that God has given us. Because Romans 10, 14 through 16 says, How then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? 
How are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We are all preachers of the gospel, if you will. Ministers of the gospel. We have all been charged as disciples of Jesus Christ to go, therefore. Make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. Teaching them all that he has commanded us. You have all been charged to faithfully proclaim the gospel, to passionately proclaim the gospel. Are you doing it? Are you going and doing it? And if not, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? Because we have to engage the dying world because if they're dying and we don't tell them, they will never find life. That's the beauty of like the, the, the mantra or, or slogan or whatever we have of the church to, to find life in Christ and live sent in the world. It's not just cute and flows, it has meaning. John 10.10 10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. We go because we've been commanded by Christ to do such, to take life to the dying world. And yes, hear me, you are going to face hostility. You're going to face confusion. You're going to face hard questions. You might be belittled and made fun of, what have you, as you step out in gospel faithfulness to the world. But hear me, what you're also going to encounter are people that God has been stirring in far before you ever thought about coming to where you presented the gospel. It's going to happen. I'm not only over high school ministry, uh, I'm also over young adult ministry in our church. And one thing that we've been doing uh, twice a month on Thursday, uh, I think it's the, the second and fourth Thursday of the month, we go to MTSU's campus from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., 2 p.m., is what I was about to say, 2 p.m., and we engage with the campus in hopes to reach people for Christ. We're evangelizing. The way that we do this is we, we set up a table. We give out free coffee because college students are poor and need free things. So we give, I was one of those, I get it. We give out free coffee, free drinks, free water. And we have a whiteboard that has a question on it. Now, I'm not gonna, you don't need to walk around your work with a whiteboard saying, you guys wanna answer my question? No, okay, let's keep moving. But this is a way that we draw people in. Hey, we got a question of the day. We've, we've asked them, how do we know right from wrong? Are, do human rights really exist? And the one this past week that we had was what's something beautiful that you've seen in the last month? And hear me, we've encountered people that have been very hostile. We have. We've encountered people that have stumped us with questions, with their scientific biology background, believing that their soul is in your brain and all of these different things. I don't can I just pray for you? I don't, know. I don't know. Come back next week, though, and then we can talk about it. But we've also encountered people who are searching. I want, I want to have meaning to my life. We've already seen a young man named Isaiah come to know the Lord in salvation through a month of just twice a month. So four times that we've been on campus, the Lord has been faithful to save someone already. And he joined us this Thursday in reaching his own campus that he's in. Church, it's easy. Just be faithful. It's not about perfection. Hear me say that. It's just about obedience. Seeking the presence of God through what he's asked us to do. 
and because there's a weight on us. Because God does not need us to save, to, to, to advance his kingdom, but he so gives us the privilege to be a part of it. And one of the, the prayers that I often pray before I preach or before we go to campus for evangelism is God, is, is God use me. I'm a tool in your hands. And if you think about it, a tool, if you lay it on the workbench, can do absolutely nothing. It's a waste of space unless it's wielded for its purpose. We, being created by God, are a tool used in his hand to bring about his glory and his worship among the nations. So as we are obedient to the will of God that he's designed us to be in, he will use us for his glory. So God, use us. Here is our yes, put it on the map, and I'll follow you in obedience. It's God moving in your faithfulness to him. Because there is a dying world out there that's being decayed by our ever-shifting culture. They have no hope, and they have no truth. Because hear me, in a world where your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, has no truth, has no truth. And scripture tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified, is the thing that they need. So we have been tasked to take it to them, to passionately and fervently proclaim the gospel in whatever avenue God has placed us in. He has placed you there for such a time as this. And if we don't go and proclaim the gospel to them, how then will they hear? We have to be deeply rooted in prayer. Because if we just go talking about Christ without prayer, there's no transformative power. We need the prayer, a deep sense of prayer in our life and obedience to go and speak to open our mouths, to build relationships strategically with people that don't know Jesus. Church, there's great power that can come from ordinary people like us who persist in prayer and passionately proclaim the good news of the gospel unto the dying world. So will you do it? Will you passionately proclaim the good news of Christ? That's my daughter. I want to close today by looking at an example of someone who did just that, that was persistent in their prayer life, and that passionately proclaimed the gospel until their dying breath. There's a man named George Mueller. I mean, if you may not know who he is, George Mueller was a German man born in 1805 and lived for the duration of the 19th century. He lived most of his life in Bristol, England and worked closely with men like D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, and even inspired the great missionary Hudson Taylor. Mueller was not born into a Christian home. I want you to take note of that. He was not born into a Christian home. His mother died when he was a teenager, and his father was not a believer. It went on to say that as his mother was dying, Mueller was out in the street getting drunk with his friends. But by the grace of God, at the age of 20... He was invited to a Bible study, and the Lord gripped his heart and began his faith in Jesus Christ. How easy was that? 
He was invited to a Bible study. We can do that. Hear me. I, I don't want your living scent to be, hey, let me bring you to our pastor. He can tell you about Jesus. You need to tell them about Jesus. LifePoint can't save a person. Christ can. So you tell them about Jesus. And in so doing, open them up to the reality of the beauty of a body of people who exalt Christ, who live together, who share in a true fellowship together and see what happens. Invite them to dinner. Invite them over to your home. Go to their house. Love on their family, their kids, what have you, whatever it may be. Be faithful. But Mueller went from a liar, a thief, a drunkard, a blasphemer to a man whose single greatest goal in life was to live and lead a ministry that proves God is real, God is trustworthy, and God answers prayers. Mueller's ministry was defined by a persistent devotion to prayer and a, and a, and a passionate proclamation of the gospel to the most vulnerable. Mueller had a deep affection and deep heart for orphans. He built five large orphanages in England and served as the caretaker for 10,024 different orphans in his lifetime. And you need to understand, too, this was before social media. He didn't have a, a GoFundMe for anything. Like he, he was doing gospel ministry each day faithfully, pleading with God to move, pleading with God to provide, and pleading with God to save, and then being obedient to speak all of those things to his people. His work inspired many others that followed in his footsteps. Mueller started, uh, when he started his orphan care, there were at least 100,000 more created in England alone, different orphanages. Mueller, I want you to listen to this. Mueller raised millions of dollars in today's money for orphans and ministry efforts, but never asked for anyone, for, never asked for a dime from anyone. So he raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, but yet didn't go and ask anyone for money. For 68 years of his ministry, he never took a salary. He never took out a loan or never went into debt. Instead, he trusted for God to provide for him in his ministry. And through persistent prayer, he was able to passionately proclaim the gospel to countless people and care for thousands of orphans. Mueller was the type of guy like, man, oh, oh, we're running out of money. Let, let, let us pray. Let us go to the Lord and ask him to provide so that his gospel work can go forth that we can provide and reach God's people and those who are not yet his people. And what ended up happening, story goes on to tell that when they needed to pay rent, someone would just, they would pray and someone would just bring it. Hey, here's your rent for the next six months. This happened over and over and over and over again throughout his life. And at the age of 70, he finally fulfilled a lifelong dream of becoming a missionary. 70 years old finally became a missionary. And he traveled all around the world. He was preaching on an average every single day until he was the age of 87. Then at the age of 92, Mueller led a prayer meeting at his church and died the next morning. What a life. A life of gospel faithfulness, of persistent prayer, of a passionate proclamation of Jesus Christ and him crucified and a model for people to see that your retirement you don't ever retire from gospel work until he calls you home 
to your dying breath, you proclaim the good news of Christ. And this, this was a man who, who did ministry that will echo loudly for all of eternity. And hear me, he did not have the head start of being discipled by two gospel-loving, Christ-exalting parents. And there are many of you in this room who have children, and you love the Lord. You have a head start. Mueller didn't go to boarding school to, to learn how all of the different books fit together to deepen his theological understanding. He didn't do that. He was a man who loved the word of God, communed with it every day. Let it work him over. He understood his identity in Christ and what he had called him to. He was obedient to it. He was a wicked man. But he was saved by the grace of God. And God's grace transformed his heart so that he devoted himself to persistent prayer and passionate proclamation until his dying breath. And from his faithful work, God moved in incredible ways. Church, my plead with you this morning is to really imagine what our community would look like if we were persistent in our prayers. Not just for us, but for our church and our community. And what our community would look like if we passionately proclaimed the gospel. We weren't passive in it. We passionately proclaimed the gospel. What our, what our understanding of the faithfulness of God would be if we would just do that. If you're in this room, I plead with you to do that. If you don't know Jesus, the plead is the plead from the entire book of Colossians to make Christ preeminent in your life, make him first in your life, to lay your life down at his feet. He who loses his life will find it. The word of God proclaims to us and tells us that if we are faithful to repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus, we will be saved. It's not through good works. I don't do all of these things. I don't seek the Lord in prayer and I don't uh, share the gospel in hopes that God might save me. I do those things because I am saved. You cannot save yourself. It is only by the hand of God, through Christ alone and faith alone, that you are saved. Today is the day for salvation if you do not know Jesus. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised to live to the afternoon today. So my plead with you is that you would come, that you would ask questions, that you would open up your heart, that God would move in your life and remove the scales for you to see his goodness and his faithfulness in your life, that he is a good, good father, that he does love you, that he created you, he gives you worth, and he wants fellowship with you. And to get that, he sent his son, laid him down on a cross and crucified him to drink the wrath of himself, of God, for our sin. If we would just repent, we were washed in the blood of Jesus and brought into a saving faith. Church, this is what we passionately proclaim. And we do it, one, because we are commanded, and two, because there's great joy in thinking about the people that we will see worshiping God around the throne.
Pour out your life for gospel faithfulness and see what he does. Let's pray together. Father of all mercies, we just say thank you that your mercies are new every day. That in our current state of battling with flesh, battling with the prince of the power of the air, you're with us and you love us when we fail. You forgive us for those that are found in you. May you remind us that when we have been saved by you, King Jesus, you forgive us of our past, present, and future sin. And I pray for the believers in the room that you would embolden us and strengthen us, shore up our foundation to live a life that honors you. Not one of perfection, but one of presence with you. And Father, you have promised that when you are high and lifted up, you will draw all men unto yourself. And my prayer this morning is that you are high and lifted up through our worship, that you are high and lifted up through the teaching and proclamation of your word, that you're high and lifted up through our conversations and through our fellowship this morning, and that you will draw men and women unto yourself. That you'll save. I plead with you to open the eyes of the lost to soften hard hearts, to loosen our grip and allow us to fall undone at your feet. And it is at your feet where our life is put back together as it should be. For you are the founder and perfecter of our faith. You are creator. You are redeemer. You are restorer. You are the great physician. You are the healing hand. We plead with you to just do what only you can do, God, to save. Father, I pray for our church here, for Life Point Stewart's Creek. I pray that we would be a people who persist in our prayers for the body of Christ and the community and that we would be a people who walk out of these doors and see thousands of homes being built across the street and around the corner and know that there are people that do not know you that will inhabit those homes and that if we don't leave this place with a passionate proclamation of your gospel, how will they know? plead with you. Use your bride as a tool in your hands to advance your kingdom. And I pray that you would add to that number daily. Oh, King Jesus, to save daily that we might glory in you in your faithfulness. And then the kingdom of God, your kingdom, would advance from here unto the ends of the earth. Make us a people of prayer 
Make us a people of evangelism, King Jesus. We love you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Church, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I love you. I'm thankful for the opportunity, and it is a joy of mine to stand here. Not just to stand here, but to worship with you. It's a sweet time for me. So thank you for loving me and my family. Uh, And I pray that you would contemplate your life in this next song that we're about to sing to just, what's the next thing you need to do? Is it to pray more? Is it to leave this place on fire, like just to go tell people about Jesus? You know you're going to a bunch of different Thanksgiving meals, like go tell your family about Christ. That's what we can be thankful for. I just love you, church, and I thank you for being here this morning.